Good afternoon, good evening, good morning for some of you. Welcome to our workshop. Please join me in prayer and a serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. We're here to talk about forgiveness. I'm going to give you a little bit of a context for that. And we're going to take a look at exactly what does it mean right away, right away. We're going to take a deep dive into the process steps so that you have that in your mind, or at least you've heard it. I'm going to go a little bit too fast for you to take notes. <clears throat> this is recorded. It's a video recording of me and my presentation because I plan on integrating PowerPoint with it, <clears throat> as you'll see in a little bit. It will be an audio recording of you when we have, in fact, some pause for Q&A. I plan on being here for about three hours, maybe a little bit more, depending on my contact and my content and your patience. Fortunately, with Zoom, we don't have to be rigid about that, or at least I don't have to be. And obviously, you can tune out, leave anytime that you are invited someplace else. I was given the gift of sobriety in February of 1984. I was given freedom from alcohol, and I didn't ask for it. Marlene referred to my wife, who was the executive director for the retreat center for 20 years, actually. She went there because our final child was going off to college, and she knew there was going to be an empty nest, and she wanted something to occupy herself, and she loved the retreat center. She went up there to be one of the administrators. She didn't want much responsibility. She just wanted to contribute and have something to do that was meaningful. After a year, <laughs> the executive director that was there received an invitation to do something else in a ministry and the whole retreat center voted her in as the executive director. She says, no, I'm, I'm, I'm the secretary. I, and she was the she was the executive director for 20 years. Did a fabulous job. But she had a problem with alcohol before that. And it was the retreat center that had opened the door to the awareness of a problem that was alcohol and a solution that was 12-step recovery. And uh, she began that journey. And the people who were helping her asked me to stop drinking for 90 days to support her recovery. And that's my story. Alcohol was removed. Now that might aggravate many of you who have really struggled in the past or maybe even in the present with your addiction. I mean, it's just my story. I can't explain it. I'm just relating it. <clears throat> in 1988, four years of a real big commitment. I'm not going to tell you my story. 
to the 12 step fellowship four years into it daily contact with the sponsor daily meeting step studies book studies i had not done the steps out of the big book because i didn't know how to do that in 1988 i heard a man share about the big book as a textbook and that he had had help a teacher a guide a step guide not a sponsor a step guide that took him through the steps out of the big book mechanically and he had the promised spiritual awakening and i asked him to help me have that same experience <clears throat> and he did and so in 1988 i got free again but this time from the bondage of unmanageability that spiritual malady about that time i was asked by a group of people to participate in a panel on forgiveness well i had never looked formally at the term so i looked it up in a dictionary the word forgiveness is a decision to release look at my hand a decision to release wow is it that simple yes but as Bill says, his own story, it's not easy. In fact, he goes on to say, it means the destruction of self-centeredness. We must turn in all things to the Father of light who presides over us all. I'm quoting, it's one of my favorites from page 14 in the big book in Bill's story. Simple, but not easy. A price has to be paid. It means the destruction of self-centeredness. I must turn. See, it's this turning that we're going to be talking about today. That's the key. A decision to turn. And interestingly enough, after I did the steps four through nine, making the commitment in three to turn, I realized in my meditation practice that I started as I began step nine, I realized that Although I had committed to turn and I had done all the work to turn, that I had been turned. Hear the vocabulary. I had been turned, which reinforced my understanding of a spiritual awakening, a change in the way we think and feel and behave. And it's done to us, not by us, but not without us. Appendix two in the back of the big book, worthy of a meditation. So in preparation for this panel, I did some reading to try to get some more formal idea as to the process of forgiveness. And I came across a book called Forgive for Good. This is 1990. The book had just been written and published by Fred Luskin, L-U-S-K-I-N. Please make a note and put it on your reading list and move it to the top. Fred Luskin is a clinical psychologist, a professor of psychology at Stanford University, and he did his doctoral dissertation on forgiveness. And then he converted the doctoral dissertation into this book, Forgive for Good. And he's a scientist and he's a psychologist and he presents from a human behavior standpoint only. There's no religion, <clears throat> there's no speculation, there's no philosophy, <clears throat> hard science. 
And I make that contrast to my approach, which was in fact, philosophical, theological, 12-step oriented, a spiritual process. But as I read his book, and as we did the panel afterwards, I said, you know, Fred, and the panel went really well, the, Fred, uh, as I read your book and understood the process from a psychologist standpoint, it's identical to the process of the 12 steps. The process is the same, but the dynamic is quite different. The vocabulary is quite different. And he said, yes, Herb, absolutely. The dynamic, the process is the same. The vocabulary is different. You come from a spiritual, the words of the 12-step recovery. And I come from psychology, hard science. He said, but you have a real advantage. You 12-step people, you spiritual people. I said, what's that? He said, you have the component of God. You have the component of a power other than yourself. I can't use that. I can't even refer to it. I'm a scientist. I only deal with facts and material reality. But there's a real advantage that I've noticed with the people who have this extra ingredient. I thought that was really humble of him to be able to say that. Just remember that forgiveness is a process. It's not a light switch event. Very much like the steps. I refer to the steps as a dimmer switch process. Appendix two that I referred to makes a distinction between a spiritual experience and a spiritual awakening. Bill Wilson had the spiritual experience and that was that light switch event in the hospital in his third day. His first day was detoxing. He was still drunk from going into the hospital. His second day, Ebby showed up and worked the steps with him, those Oxford group steps, those six steps. There's the second day detoxing in the hospital. You can read it on page 13 in the big book. And then on page 14, the third day. Actually, <laughs> uh, I believe it was December 12th or 13th. And um, uh, 1934, uh, he had his mountaintop experience. Well, most of us don't have that. I didn't. My process took a minimum of five and probably a maximum of 12 years to emerge and to solidify. And I say it that way because I did, I got sober in 1984, but I did the steps in 1988, as I've already mentioned. And then I did the steps three more times over the next several years. And in 1996, completed that work. And I believe had a full awareness of and an experience with the awakening that is promised in the big book. Now, it didn't stop there because the dimmer switch is on an infinite axle because it's in touch with an infinite light. These are the words I use. They're not from the big book, but I think you get the idea. Bill says, in fact, in step 10, that this is a lifetime journey. He calls it our way of living. I'll refer to that later on. The point is forgiveness is a process. It won't happen by Sunday but it will happen by someday. Yes, I'm cute and poetic. As part of my continuing reflection on forgiveness, 
about three years ago, maybe five, I've lost track of time. This phrase came from the tiny whispering sound. That tiny whispering sound that when we get quiet and, and listen that we can hear, not maybe through our ears, but through our thinking or through our feeling or through our awareness or some intuition or inspiration or instinct. I'm using these words very advisedly. I'm not going to explain them right now. About forgiveness. And it came to me, a forgiving person has no past. See, we're released from that. A forgiving person has no past. And that's the promises of step nine, isn't it? We will not regret the past. In fact, it's maybe our only asset and it's a tool to help other people. A forgiving person has no past, <clears throat> but an unforgiving person has no future. That's pretty confrontational. I kind of like to do those kinds of things. Any of you who know me know that. I love a bucket of cold water to be able to throw that on somebody to kind of wake them up. Not to offend them, not to diminish them but to startle them. And perhaps some of that will happen today as we go through this process. At 10 years of sobriety, this man who took me through the steps the third time said, Herb, you've got a lot of information. You've got a lot of information, but you have completely insufficient transformation. And I knew that he knew that I didn't know. And he quoted Einstein, the consciousness that created the problem cannot be the consciousness that solves the problem. I've always prided my mind and knowledge and made a lifetime pursuit of that. That was the focus of my seeking until I met the 12 steps. And of course it is important to know something, but it's more important to do something. And this man gave me a set-aside prayer, which I invite you to pray. You're all on mute. I hope you are anyway. And uh, you're welcome not to pray. Certainly, that's your choice. You're welcome, and I'm inviting you to pray out loud with me or to just pray quietly to yourself. God, please set aside everything that I think I know about myself, my brokenness, my spiritual path, and you. For an open mind and a new experience with myself, my brokenness, my spiritual path, and especially you. Forgiveness is a process. Now, I want to be really clear up front. It is true that you have been hurt. You have been betrayed, you have been abused, you have been abandoned, you have been disappointed, you have been lied to, and the list is probably way longer than that, and it's unique to you personally. It is true. This is your history. It formed you and it deformed you. Some of it can be remedied and some of it can never be fixed. It is true, the nature of trauma. PTSD. We can deal with it. But we, and we can heal from it. 
but it has made a permanent difference in our perception and in our feelings and in our capacity. That's just reality. It's just tr the truth. So here's Fred Luskin's process of forgiveness. Number one, to name it. What was the hurt? So I'm asking you to do that today. This is uh, an attempt to have an experience, not just some information. I would love you to have an experience, um, superficial as it's going to be, because we don't have a lot of time to plumb the depths for you individually. But name one person or one event that's very clear as a priority in your mind, a dominant person or event or experience that you've had that really hurt you, that you have tentacles into the soul of your soul and that you have worked therapy and you have worked religion and you have worked steps and you have done the best you can and it still squeezes your heart and your stomach and your very being sometimes when you think about it or all the times even when you don't think about it name the grievance and the impact and how you feel about it today. It may have been yesterday. More likely it was a year ago or in some instances, even multiple years or multiple decades ago. I regularly experience people in my workshop, God bless them, <clears throat> who are 50 and 60 and 70 and even 80 years old and they're still pounding the table about their relationship with their mother or father. It's sad. It's very real. It's not necessary. We need to understand it. What was the hope that you had? What was the belief that you had? What was the expectations that you had? What was your understanding? I, uh, this is a, a term that uh, Fred Luskin developed about rules. We all have a story and we all have rules and he calls them unenforceable rules. It was a breakthrough for me when I did steps, step four, columns three and column four, and we'll, took a, we'll take a, a, a gentle look at it today as we go through this process. Identify the rules, my beliefs. Acknowledge the reality, that's the way I started out this comment on this process and forgiveness. It did happen. And the critical part is my attitude about it. Most of you who have done any spiritual work or any 12-step work already know this or any therapy that's been effective. You know this. It's really about your attitude. I cannot change my history. Lean into that. I cannot change my history. I can just change my attitude about it. I'll talk about reframing. That's what the spiritual awakening suggests to us, doesn't it? A change in the way we think and feel and behave. And it's done to us, not by us, but not without us. I love the word co-creation. Uh, a contribution. 
We walk hand in hand with the spirit of the universe, Bill says in the promises of step five on page 75, hand in hand. A line in the 12 and 12 was brought to my attention just three days ago. Page 107 is part of chapter, uh, uh, excuse me, yeah, chapter 12, step 12. And it says, sobriety is a gift and awakening is a gift. Think of the implications of that. Grace means gift, freely given, not earned. Sobriety, first half of the first step. Freedom from unmanageability, the spiritual malady, the gift of the second half of the seconds of the first step. Gifts. And then it says, and the steps prepare us to receive the gift. And I couldn't have put it any better myself. Another approach to understanding grace and willingness, which comes first, I don't know, and I don't care. I just observe that there is a mysterious alchemaic interaction. Grace makes me willing, my willingness brings grace, yes. I don't have to understand how it works. I just have to observe that it works. To uh, accept my responsibility for my attitude, my beliefs, my hopes, and my healing. It's my responsibility, my decision. I have free will. We'll look a little bit at that also as we navigate this journey today. It's a decision. I have free will. The book is very clear. I don't have free will with regard to my addiction. I am powerless. I have no choice. The book is very clear. Page 62. I have no free will, no choice with regard to unmanageability. Unmanageability, my self-centeredness, my will will always choose me on its own power. It's a survival hardwired mechanism. But on page 53, Bill nails it from a spiritual standpoint, from a human standpoint, from a psychological standpoint, from a reality standpoint. We have free will, not free about our addiction and not free about our unmanageability but free to choose God or no God, power or no God, no power. Energy or no energy, life force or no life force in the universe. It's our decision, a free decision. God is or God isn't. What is your choice, he says. Wow. And then, of course, the balance after step three is the implementation of the decision you make in step three to turn as I mentioned in my opening comments, I made that decision. I took those actions because I really wanted to turn from my self-centeredness to other-centeredness. And when I finished the ninth step and was practicing my 11th step, I realized as I looked back over my shoulder, I had been turned. Oh, I did a lot of work, 
but the spiritual math is very different than the material math. Material math, one plus one equals two. Spiritual math, one plus one equals five. Because the outcome of my willingness and the outcome of my action was disproportionate to my contribution. That awakening that I had, that I had been looking for all my life. And I'd be, I would prided myself on being a seeker until I was age 48, four years sober. And as I finished the steps and became more awake and more aware, I realized I had become a finder. And I didn't realize that finding was way better than seeking. I continue to be a seeker and I continue to be a finder. Let's take a look at the brain. This is how we're built. I like to have context and I like to have a deep understanding of things. Who am I as a human being? I have three brains. It reflects who I am as a human being. I was first a carrot, figuratively speaking. My brain stem is a survival mechanism, usually called the lizard brain. Thirst and hunger and mating. Those are the decisions made by that lizard brain. Do I drink it? Do I eat it? Or do I mate with it? I, I sponsor some people like that. Oh, little lightening up, little lightening it up. I hope it was lighting it up. Anyway, the second brain developed over millions of years is our limbic system, the second brain. This is where emotional sobriety comes in. Using our third development brain, our cortex and neocortex, which is the areas for functioning in knowledge and decision to manage our emotions and to manage our instincts to manage our limbic system and to manage our brainstem survival instincts. Improving our consciousness so that we are aware of the implications of the actions that we take both on ourselves and on other people and we can make corrective adjustments. That's what step 10 is all about, making corrective adjustments. I've taken that to another level, which I think is important as a context for us. Maslow gave us uh, his model for the hierarchy of needs for a human being. I don't refer to him in the PowerPoint anymore because I've changed it to adapt and adopt the 12-step experience that I've had. Of course, we have a body and we have a mind and we have a will. The body is that material part of us that is connected to the addiction. The mind is that material and immaterial aspect of us through our emotions and through our cortex that is subject to the addiction and the obsession. But the will is that thing that makes us uniquely human. We have the power of choice as I mentioned earlier, not about our addiction and not about our unmanageability, but we have a choice about the universe and our relationship with it. What brings an acorn to a sapling to an oak tree? 
that's the life force that we're talking about, which is a power other than ourselves. Not a material, but an immaterial, at least by the vocabulary and the understanding of the big book and the step process. And in fact, the way most of us have incorporated it, I have free will to choose. It's absolutely the critical piece of forgiveness, my power of choice. Knowing where I have the power of choice and knowing where I don't have the power of choice. This adaptation of the Maslow hierarchy of needs gives us a perspective on human development. It's an organic process. I realize as are the steps, as is the forgiveness process. It's an organic process. I heard in a meeting one time, you can't make a tulip grow by pulling on it. I love simple in, in, in pictures and words like that. They really help me kind of like, okay, Herb, take a breath. I'm very task oriented. I'm very driven to know and to do and to become a better person by whatever standards I've adopted for the day. The best advice I got from a spiritual director when I was talking to him about my step 11 practice was, Herb, you're as powerless over your spiritual life as you are over alcohol. I hope you can hear this. It changed my, uh, my, my, my relationship to meditation. You are, I was a monk for seven years, 1957 to 1964. Seven years in a monastery studying to be a Catholic priest. Seven years of silence. We did a lot of meditating. I walked out of there in the summer of 1964 and didn't meditate again for another 25 years because I didn't understand what I was doing. I didn't know what meditation was. I didn't know the value of it. I didn't know why to do it. I hung it up in the same way I hung up my black robe and never looked back. And yet in 1988, the man who took me through the steps broke the code for meditation. We ask God to direct our thinking, then we begin thinking, this is what's not in the big book. We listen to our thinking as an answer to our prayer. As simple as that. We listen to our thinking, not our, not, not our ears, but our heart and our mind. Our awareness, our feelings, our instincts, and our inspirations. We listen as the possibility of the life force giving us a direction as to how to be in the flow. And I did that for months. I had established a practice and <clears throat> I got bored. So I went to this spiritual director to talk about it. He, didn't, he knew nothing about 12-step spirituality but a deeply spiritual man. And he got it right away about step one and the work we do to have an awakening. And that's when he said, you're as powerless over your spiritual life as you are over alcohol having no power at all. You're as powerless over your meditation as you are over alcohol having no power at all. Your power is to show up. 
to sit in the presence of power humbled by your powerlessness. To be present, being absorbed by and absorbing that presence to be changed. That's your thy will be done. You're responsible for the effort and the results are none of your business. What freedom that gave me, that released me from a task. We're talking today about release. Maybe that's why that has come up in this section because I didn't plan on it. Emotional sobriety is that second stage of recovery. I've done a workshop on that and I continue to reflect on that. <clears throat> Dr. Allen Berger is a wonderful resource. I have just proofed his book, his new book on emotional sobriety. It will be the best book that he's written so far, I believe. So pay attention to when that comes out from Hazleton. All my relationships have been healed. All of my relationships have been healed. And I see this process as developing my conscience in terms of my awareness and vigilance in step 10, my consciousness and my awareness of the presence of God or power in my life in the universe with this daily improving dynamic we call meditation and contemplation. And then the inevitable organic manifestation. Bill says, keep your feet on the ground and your head in the sky. Such a wonderful image again. Head in the sky, improving your conscious contact. Feet on the ground, living where your feet are, contributing to the people around you. Fancy words, self-actualization, self-realization, self-transcendence. But they really are an invitation to full human development. Am I a human being seeking a spiritual experience? Or am I a spiritual being seeking a human experience? My answer is yes. Yes. Flip sides of the same coin. This is the journey of forgiveness, a decision to release my history, a decision to release the people in my history, a decision to release the hurt that I have experienced because it's history, it's old news now. I cannot do that on my own. I need a 12-step process. At least that's my experience. Self-help helped me. Therapy and psychology helped me. My formal religion and my practices from my religious tradition helped me. AA itself helped me. It was a progressive organic development, but it was the steps that brought me over the goal line. The goal of awakening, the goal of optimal humanity, the goal of becoming the true self that I didn't even know was available or that it even existed. And a process that establishes our relationship with power and then my relationship with myself and then my relationship with other people. A three-stage rocket launch. Bill uses that metaphor in the big book. I believe it's on page 25, rocketed into the fourth dimension. Three-dimensional like a 3D movie 
width, height, and depth, the world of the material. Fourth dimension, the world of the spirit. And Bill calls it our way of life. I'm integrating both the psychological concepts of Dr. Luskin with the spiritual concepts of the big book and the 12-step spiritual process. I've read many books by Jewish writers, as well as Christian writers, as well as uh, Buddhist writers. And although the language and the vocabulary is slightly different, the dynamic is absolutely parallel because it's about human beings from different perspectives. But the process underneath is the same because we're all the same. We all have the same brain. We all have some powerlessness if in fact we're an addict. It's a proportionate amount, one out of 10 or five out of 10, it's not everybody, but everybody has unmanageability. This is the revelation and the best kept secret in the rooms of 12 step, no matter whatever the fellowship is, most people connect unmanageability to the, their addiction. And it's true. Your life will be unmanageable while you're in your addiction, but that's not the issue. There's a dash there, not an and. Unmanageability, it's the human condition, and this is what it looks like. I am having trouble with personal relationships. Bill calls it the bedevilments, to be controlled as if by devils, to be puppets on a string of circumstances and people outside of me. The strings are attached to the people, the strings are attached to the circumstances, and they're the ones that are pulling the levers and I'm a victim perennially. I can't seem to control my emotional nature. When they pull the string, I react. I am a prey to misery and depression because of this powerlessness, this perennial serial victimhood. I can't make a living. I had to challenge that because I was making a very good living. And a tiny whispering sound said to me, you can't make a living that satisfies you because you're a bottomless pit. There's not enough power or luxury or adulation or recognition or pleasure is there, Herb. You see, when you ask a legitimate question with an open heart and an open mind, the universe will respond. I'm using words uh, loosely. Energy, life force, universe, God, power, higher power. Use your own words. Listen to the... People call it the wee small voice. The actual translation from the Aramaic is tiny whispering sound. It's not a voice. I don't hear it. It's not a vocabulary. There's no words. There's a recognition. There's a resonance. There's an awareness. And we listen carefully to that sound that resonates in us, that tells us the truth. If we listen with an open and honest set-aside attitude, maybe even the set-aside prayer, I have a feeling of uselessness, I am full of fear, I am unhappy, I can't seem to be of real help to other people, quite frankly, 10 years sober, I didn't actually want to help people. I recognized here in this meditation about these bedevilments at that time in my journey, 10 years sober, 
I wanted the reputation of helping people because I was still very materialistic, ego, ego-centered and narcissistic, relentless narcissism. And this process has sanded off and smoothed off the edges. You never recover from it. That's a personality disorder. But on a scale of one to 10, I used to be a seven and now I'm a two. Well, at least by standards other than myself because I've, I've asked professionals. As part of my opening comments, I, I related to you a, com, a conversation I had with uh, uh, Dr. Fred Luskin. And he said the difference between his psychological process and the 12 step and or spiritual process is God. Is God necessary? Well, you recognize the image from the Sistine Chapel, creation, God reaching down and creating humans. The word Adam, Adam, is not the name of a man that was created. Please do a little research. Adam is the Aramaic term for earth and dirt. God created humans out of dirt. God created them male and female. God created them in God's image and likeness. It's an incredible meditation from the book of Genesis, the first book of the Jewish Bible, the Torah. God created humans in God's image and likeness. God created them male and female. But the big book is very generic, literally, although it comes out of a Christian milieu, we all know that. Bill tried to scrub it of any religious connotations or connections. He says, make a decision about power. What is it for you? Healthy steps, higher self, human spirit, Holy Spirit. He said in the 12 and 12, at the least, you might want to choose the group as your higher power if you're having any trouble at all with the fourth dimensional concept. Choose the group. It certainly has something that you don't have. Maybe even a sense of humor, let alone a healthy life. What is it for you? Make a decision about your concept. Challenge yourself right now. I mean it. Confront yourself. What's your current concept of God? What do you actually believe? Actually believe, not think, want, feel, read, mouth, have heard from sponsors and parents and churches and wherever else you learn. But search your heart, what do you believe? And I hope you can write it down and then ask yourself this next question, how do I behave? My head and my heart will regularly lie to me, not because it's deceitful by nature, but just it's protective. At least it's delusionally protective. But one of the people that I was connected to, a teacher that was so effective said, your feet tell you what you believe. How you behave tells you what you believe. I'm, 
I wrote out what I thought I believed, and then I wrote out what I behaved in relationship to that, and I woke up to the fact that my concept of God up to that point had been the very impediment to my relationship with the mystery. My traditional understanding was the very obstacle to an effective relationship with power. Embarrassing. But then it was freeing because it released me to make my own decision about that. And then to go on to a decision in step three about a relationship. A relationship with this concept that I determined in step two. Many of you have seen me do this. There is a life force. You can call it higher power as is on the screen there with that cartoon. But we're given free will. And we go against the life force. That's where the disturbance comes. That's where the bedevilments come from. That's where the serial suffering comes from. I go against the flow of the life force. I mentioned the acorn that becomes the sapling that becomes the oak tree. What is that life force? What is the life force that has the sun rising every morning in the east and setting every evening in the west? What is that life force that has the planets rotating and not colliding and all of the mysteries that we're all aware of, at least I am on a superficial basis? And the key to step three is to place ourselves, at least to commit ourselves to be in alignment. The term isn't in the big book. To be in alignment, to be in alignment. The turning that we have, I guess I better turn this way. My camera's in a different spot. The turning on step three is a commitment to do steps four through nine to turn to be in alignment with the reality as we're understanding it and when we're disturbed, uh, step 10 says, we use the formula to place ourselves back in alignment. It's really so simple when it's perceived this way. Again, relevant to forgiveness, a process of turning from a grip on a story that is about the history, but has no relevance in the present. Yes, we were hurt. Yes, we were abandoned. Yes, our life is permanently changed and modified, limited by that. I don't want to be cavalier or insensitive, but I am direct. What happened is true. Now deal with it. Now deal with it, because it's your life. It's your decision to be in alignment or not. I'm asking you now to pray this third step prayer with me. It's here on the screen. I've brought it into current language. I've eliminated the these and the thous. 
I personally don't like those uh, terms. Uh, you're welcome to reinstate them the way they are in the book. Other than that, the prayer has not been changed. But think about the concept, the reality for you of this power that you have or that you want to have. Be open, be really broad in your embrace here that you have or that you want to have. And the relationship that your heart yearns for. A word that's not in the big book, but it just speaks to me from the deepest part of my soul. Since I was 10 years old, I yearned for something which kept me seeking in a variety of dead ends and blind alleys eventually finding through the step process what I was looking for, which was a huge surprise. The set-aside prayer sets us up to be surprised and to establish and to foster and to sustain and to expand that relationship, that co-creation that walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe that Bill talks about in the promises of step five. Please join me. God, I offer myself to you to build with me and to do with me as you wish. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do your will. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of your power, your love, and your way of life. May I do your will always. So we find ourselves in bondage as we finish that step three, and that's why we're here doing this work, not today necessarily, but when you were involved or are involved with your own sponsor, step guide, or teacher of some kind. One of my teachers talks about the core of goodness that we have. This is the original face. This is the imago dei. This is the image and likeness. This spiritual reality that is the true nature of the human essence. But then we have a uh, a body to deal with, we are incarnated and we received the genetics of millions of years of development from those parents of ours. And we receive lots of influences from our culture and family of origin and lots of experiences from our emotions of dealing with our siblings and society and our neighborhood and all the educational system. And you recognize the nesting dolls in Russian, I was told by a woman in one of my workshops, it's matrushka, which means mother. It makes sense. The images are all the same. See, that's the false self that we create. And we don't know that we don't know that it's a false self until we begin this work, which is, as Bill said, the ego deflation at depth. We need to accept our biology as addicts. That's just who we are. It's not our fault but it is our responsibility. 
ego deflation at depth. We're not talking about the ego that the psychologists and therapists try to support in terms of self-esteem. We're talking about that false self. We're talking about that self-centeredness. We're talking about that part of us that is deceptive, dishonest even with ourself. We need to have a process for deconstruction of my story so that we see the family culture for what it was and what it contributed, but it doesn't have the power to name me or my emotional experiences or the psychological dynamics that I've experienced because there is a truth. There is a real true core of goodness that I am and I need to get in touch with that through a process. This is the process of the steps or good therapy or good religion or a good relationship and self-help. That bondage of, of self, those bedevilments that we've experienced. These are the obstacles to power that sunlight deep down inside of ourself. We need to analyze it and identify it, that self-centeredness. Now, that's not my term. That's a term from the big book. And Bill says it's the root of the problem. Page 62, you can make notes of it. I'm not encouraging you to be doing the research as we're talking because I'm going to move on fairly quickly because this is really skip, a rock skipping across the surface from my standpoint. I do a deep dive in my weekly workshops or in my regular other kinds of events. By the way, my new weekly workshop will again begin in Monday and Tuesday of January 4th and 5th. I'm taking a new deeper approach to it. Surprise, surprise. Um, I'm always tinkering with the toy and um, I think I've got uh, another approach that will provide a brand new experience even for those who have some depth of experience with the step process. Mm. Anyway, back to the point, self-centeredness is the root and the fruit of the root is resentment. I'm, I'm bringing you here because resentment is the underbelly of the lack of forgiveness. And it was through the process of dealing effectively with the resentments, both naming them and removing them. Hear me, please. Naming them and removing them. Not that I removed them, but I submitted to a process that removed them. I cooperated with the grace of God or the power within me or the whatever you want to call this force. And I no longer am attached to, in any emotional way, resentments in my life. Of course, there are fears and dysfunctional, unhealthy sex and dishonesty, secrets, guilt and shame. Some of the words are not in the big book, but they're relevant. These, this is the entire library of the fourth step as I approach it. But today I'm doing this as a context and a perspective to take a look more deeply at the resentments. Column three was transformative. In the big book, it's merely a list of words without any definition or how to apply them. Self-esteem, what does it mean? Well, the man who took me through the steps suggested that it wasn't about psychological self-esteem. 
It was about who do I think I am? Who do I believe I am? The key word for column three was beliefs. Underneath unforgiveness is a belief. Underneath my resentment is a belief. And I put it in quotes because it's a delusional. It's a lie. But I don't know that it's a lie. I believe it's the truth. That's why I have this reaction to it. Who am I? Ask yourself when you're standing in front of the person that you perhaps wrote the name of and the incidents of unforgiveness that you're still burdened with, as I asked you to do at the beginning of our time together. Who are you standing there looking at this person? Who are you in your own head? How do you want other people to see this person treating you? And I found out that I was very delusional. I said, I am a wonderful man with a lot of gifts. In fact, in my work environment, I was the best employee deserving a lot of money. I was uh, entitled to a promotion and lots of perks. I was asked then what the fear was, as it suggests in the uh, big book. And my fear was that I wasn't any of that, that they would see through the mask, that persona, the Hollywood storefront that I had created. You see, this is about the deflation of the ego at depth, the deflation of the false self. It's those beliefs that is the seedling that creates the, re the resentment that creates the unforgiveness in us. Who are they? What is my belief? What is my should? If you want a shortcut to understand your beliefs, listen to yourself when you think or feel or say should. It may be very healthy. More often than not, it won't be. If you're honest with yourself, the word should, I should, they should, we should, the world should, reality should, politicians should, teachers should, parents should. We have lots of shoulds. What's your story about shoulds? At 16, I believed my father should uh, honor his promise of giving me a car for my 16th birthday. He didn't. I had a deep resentment, in fact, rage. Even at 48 years old, four years sober, and he had been dead 12 years. But when I unpacked this belief, I saw that I was entitled that at 14, I had a ticket for driving under the influence without a license. At 15, I had been put in jail overnight for drunk and disorderly in possession of a, a weapon. At 16, I had again been arrested for stealing cars. Now, why would any responsible parent give a car to that young man? 
But you see, I never connected my history with his decision because I wanted what I wanted when I wanted it because I thought who I was, I was entitled. A complete distortion of reality and I couldn't see that I didn't see. Chuck C has a book called A New Pair of Glasses. It's perfect for us. I needed a new pair of glasses, new lenses through which to look at reality. Because when I look at reality, I don't see reality as it is. I see reality as I am. Life should. That's how I frame reality. Which makes me a perpetual victim. Because life doesn't respond to me. My role as a human being in life is to identify what life is, what reality is, accept what reality is, and adjust to reality is. Reality will never adjust to me. It's like the brick wall. If I want to get on the other side of the brick wall, trying to walk through it will not work. I'll just get bruised. Life doesn't adjust to me. It's immutable. It doesn't change. Life doesn't adjust to me. It's non-negotiable. This is huge in terms of growing up, emotional sobriety, accepting life on life's terms. That's what that really means. It's like the law of gravity. Hear the words law of gravity. It's a physics law. There's lots of physics laws. I don't know much about physics, but I know this about gravity. It always works. Here on earth, gravity works. If you hold something in your hand and drop it a hundred times, a hundred times it'll go to the earth. That's the law of gravity. You see, I might want to fly and I might create wings that are aerodynamic, really good wings. And I might get really buff in the gym and really strong so that I can flap those wings. And if I go to a 30-story building and strap on those wings and jump out the window and flap those wings, I'm going to die. Because I'm not going to fly. I'm going to crash to the earth because of gravity. It doesn't matter what I want or feel or prepare for. Gravity is just gravity. Life is just life. Reality is just reality. This is huge. Column four was even bigger, quite frankly. It was the first time that I had taken full responsibility for my life. What am I thinking about myself? What am I doing serving myself? What is my fear? I won't get what I want or I'll lose what I have all about me. Where am I being dishonest? My personality is one that hides camouflage. There are three basic instincts for animal survival, fight, flight, and freeze. Fight is anger, flight is fear. Camouflage is dishonesty and hiding. That is the predominant reaction that I have. I'm a shame-based person. I hide, I camouflage. I create a mask to pretend to be the person I want to be or I want you to think I am. And that mask and that wall and that persona and that 
Hollywood storefront has to be deconstructed if in fact the real herb is going to manifest. And ultimately I have to take responsibility. Responsibility for my thoughts, responsibilities for my feelings, responsibilities especially for all my actions. As I say, I, I'm pretty direct and, and I, I actually enjoy confronting in, in, in the best of ways with the best of intentions. And one of the arrows of confrontation that came to me in my own meditation was, I have exactly the life that I created. Each one of you here listening watching has exactly the life that they created. The Buddhists have a fancy term, they call it karma. It's nothing mysterious or mystical or outside of yourself. What it really does mean is that for every action you take, there is a reaction, there is a consequence, there is an outcome for every action. And the accumulated outcomes of every one of our actions is the life that we have today. The problem is not other people or circumstances. Oh, they are problems and they do nasty things and or they do unhealthy things at the very least and they do self-serving things certainly all the time. That's the nature of human nature. But the problem is not other people or circumstances. The problem is my reaction to them. Viktor Frankl, a Viennese psychiatrist, Jewish, <clears throat> was captured and taken into Auschwitz in 1944-45, near the end of the war. Because of his being a physician, he was given responsibility in the camp, which allowed him to have a little bit of respite from the horror of it all. But he observed that some people died rather quickly, some people lingered for a while, and then some people actually thrived in the camp. And he wondered, what, what was the difference? He wrote a book, Man's Search for Meaning. Classic book, came out in the early 50s probably. Short, 100 pages, worth reading. Bottom line was, I don't have any control over the weather or whether I'm in Auschwitz. I don't have any control over the guards and how they're treating me. I don't have any control over the inmates and the food and the bed and the accommodations and the weather. What do I have any, any influence over? He dropped the word control. What do I have any influence over? Oh, my attitude about it all. That's what we're talking about here. My attitude about it all. That's my choice. Bill says on page 66, at the bottom of page 66, in reference to resentments, we could not wish them away any more than alcohol. I'm a big book literalist and fundamentalist. I pay attention to the exact words used by the big book and Bill Wilson. I try to understand in the context of the way the words are used, what do they mean? We could not wish them away any more than alcohol. Oh, I'm as powerless over my deep resentments as I am over alcohol. 
meaning I don't have any choice. I don't have any power. I can name them. I can analyze them. I can talk about them as I have already superficially here today. And you more deeply with your own sponsors and step guides, certainly in preparation of your inventory work as well as your step five confession work. But I can't remove them at the heart of the matter is I'm powerless. So on those two pages, he gives us an approach for prayer is to identify your deep resentment. This is a, a specific set of instructions I received the second time I went through the steps. I didn't have it the first time, but the second time I went through the steps, this man had this insight based on pages 66 and 67, totally relevant to our discussion on forgiveness about deep resentment, identified them. So my dad was on the list. I had seven other people. There were eight altogether. And to begin a prayer practice. Now, some people really misinterpret or misunderstand the instructions in the big book. It doesn't say that we pray for them. That's a wonderful spiritual practice. There's a story in the back of the book that talks about that, praying for other people, that they have what they need, that they heal, etc., etc. That's a great spiritual practice. That just isn't the particular mechanical practice that Bill is describing here on page 67. He says, we ask God to help us. We're not praying for them. We're praying for ourselves. We're praying for the intervention of the spiritual surgeon, the divine surgeon, to enter into our souls and our hearts and our very being to surgically remove, excise this cancer of resentment. We're praying for our healing. We're praying for ourselves. We ask God to help us show them tolerance, patience, compassion. I use the word compassion rather than pity. I don't like the word pity. Prayers are not about words. They're about intention. That we would cheerfully grant to a sick friend in the way of life document. I have crafted a prayer that I was asked to pray each day for the removal of each one of those eight deep resentments. And I began that practice and I daily prayed eight prayers, one for each, the removal of each from me, the healing of me and my relationship to this resentment. And it was three months later that I realized that one of them, there was no negative valence for, no negative energy for. So I crossed it off the list and I began and I continued to pray for the seven and then the six and then the five. You kind of get the picture like snow in the springtime melting away over time. A process, not an event. But it required me to show up and to believe in the process, of course. You know, the good news is not only did they go away, but they've never come back. None of those eight resentments have ever had any 
emotional resonance with me. Do I have a memory? Oh, absolutely. But it has no attachment. It has no roots. It has no tentacles. I have a memory of my rage for my father, but in my heart, I have a loving connection with my father and his spirit and our time together. Amazing. I couldn't do that in confession. I couldn't do that in my religious tradition. I couldn't do that in therapy. And I did not do that in the first seven years in AA. But because this man helped me unpack the true meaning of what Bill's suggestions are in the big book, I was able to apply that practice because he had had the experience with it. And I got free. See, that's what we're talking about here. Since we began talking, releasing is the heart of forgiveness and the purpose is freedom. My freedom, their freedom. Listen to the prayer of St. Francis. To the extent that I forgive them, I am forgiven. Listen to the prayer in the Hebrew scripture. Jesus' prayer, our Father. To the extent that I release them from their debts, I am released. Different people, different times. But it's the same dynamic because it's coming from the human understanding of the human condition. I can make a decision to release it or at least to want to. The key to step six and to step eight are willingness. The key to step two is willingness. On page 47, Bill says about step two, that willingness is the cornerstone. In step six, he says, you might be attached to your character defects, but it's the willingness to let them go that will be the key to their removal. In step eight, it's the willingness to repair the damage and to change your life. It's merely the willingness uh, shown as a commitment through action that in fact will give you the release and give you the repair and give you the healing and bring the healing to other people. Of course, there are other obstacles to power. We're not going to look at those today because the primary reason we're doing today is about forgiveness, which the underbelly of, as I've mentioned many times, is resentment. But the balance of the work in step four is critical to the balance of the work of steps five through nine. Step five reveals the obstacles in a full confession, transparency. As I mentioned, step six is to name those character defects. Oops. Let me go back just a little bit here. And then step seven is the prayer for their removal. Again, a prayer for their removal. Think of the implications. I'm as powerless over the removal of my character defects as I am over alcohol. Do you hear a recurring theme here? I see it under each step, actually. Under step one, it's very clear because that's what the step is about, powerlessness. But even in step two, Bill says we cannot form an adequate concept. All we can do is accept an inadequate concept. I'm a material being and I'm trying to incorporate and understand an immaterial reality. Well, it's not happening. And then I want to establish a relationship with it. 
And I can be willing to, and I can be willing to manifest that commitment by action, but I'm completely aware that I cannot make the leap from the bridge of reason to the shore of faith. But I can be willing to be carried there. And be surprised by the experience, etc. We pray for their removal. And then I found a, another component that isn't in the big book that was critical to step seven, which was accountability. To talk to somebody about that. Reporting either on a daily basis, a weekly basis, or a monthly basis, depending on the severity of the character defect. My very first priority was a daily prayer and a daily accountability specifically for the specific character defect because it was undermining my program and my family and my career. Vicious. Within 48 hours, the behavior changed. Within two years, the inclination to the behavior changed. Hear, hear the process though. It's not an event. It's not that mountaintop spiritual experience, not me. Uh, spiritual awakening is my song. Glacially slow. Thawing out for four years in AA on the outside. And then doing the steps for the next 10 years, three different times, and thawing out on the inside. Fortunately, I came from this pathetic Herbie in the bondage of himself. And I found freedom. Because I realized I was holding the bars. Notice, there's no walls, there's no floor, there's no ceiling. There's just pathetic Herbie looking through the bars, thinking that he's in jail. And all he has done is built a prison from the wall that he thought was going to be protecting him. It turns out not to be a survival protection, but to be a prison that puts me in bondage. And I need to have that wall deconstructed and I need to drop the bars in order to find the freedom. I'm going to uh, pause here now and come back to uh, no PowerPoint. And I would like to pause and see if there are some questions that people want to ask or comments that they want to make before we go on with the balance of our journey. Thank you, Herb, um, for this wonderful workshop. So close to the beginning, you said something like, we're powerless over our addictions, but we're not powerless over um, free will, something like that. And God is everything or is nothing. And I kind of got muddled. And could you go over that again, please? Yes, I can, but I'm not going to go over it because I want to hear a question from you that I'll respond to. Okay. Um, can you clarify the idea that God is everything or God is nothing? I guess it comes down to what is it that you mean by G-O-D? And so this is a, a tremendous insight on Bill's part. He says God is or God isn't. What is your choice? 
Then he says, God is everything or God is nothing. What he means is God is everything or there is no God. By the nature of G-O-D, the reality of it is that it doesn't have a beginning and it doesn't have an end. We use infinite for that word to express that reality. And it's not a reality or a word that we can understand because we're finite. We have a beginning, we have an end, but we can speculate that the origin of reality, the source of creation, is not something that was created, therefore always was and always will be, and by its very nature is always everything, and I can mouth it, but I don't understand it. Did that help? <laughs> is that power stronger than our addictions? Well, what do you think? Um, I think that the point of the 12 steps is to help us form a relationship with that power. Yeah. But somehow in there is my choice. Is, is my choice to do the, the work or not? Is that where my choice is? That's, that's your, certainly your choice, isn't it? To do the work or not. What would be the value proposition of doing the work? You see, this... I love human beings and they get good ideas, but then converting it into action is really the challenge. And we only convert into action if in fact there's a benefit or value to us. So what's the value of taking the action for you? To get the power. Um, what's, the, what's the value of that? Um, to stop suffering and to help Bam. Well, help others. Maybe it wasn't on my radar screen. I wanted what I wanted because I wanted to feel good. I wanted to stop the suffering. I wanted to stop the, the, the madness. Absolutely. Yeah. The last thing I wanted to do was help other people. I left the monastery. I left the seminary. I left the priesthood because I knew that I didn't want to teach and preach and help people. Now, the irony of that is here you are. <laughs> fairly obvious, right? For the last 30 years, what I've been doing is teaching, preaching, and helping people. So I didn't want to be a priest, but I is one, right? But not in the traditional sense. So, but uh, lest we get astray with my humor, um, did, did we address and answer the question? Yes, it, very helpful. Thank you. Yeah. So it, it's what is the value to me and what is it that I want and what is it that I need? In step two, these are the two questions I ask people at the end of step two. What do you want? What do you need? Choose it. That's the act of faith. Yeah, it's, it's on page uh, 53. God is or God isn't. God is everything or God is nothing. We are confronted with the question of faith. Confront yourself with that question. Take a look at the dictionary. What does it mean? If you have my second book, 12 Steps to Spiritual Awakening, read step two. You won't find this any other place. You won't find this explanation any other place. I, I believe that. Step two in my book, 12 Steps to Spiritual Awakening, addresses what is faith and how to make a decision that's effective. Yeah? Thank you. Oh, thanks. Great question. No, no, no. That's at the heart of the matter. That's the whole point of this exercise. Exactly. Thank you so much. I was having one question. 
How do I forgive myself? Yeah, no, it's a powerful question and it's a relevant question. And I suggest to people based on, even on the big book on page 66, it refers to sometimes it was remorse and then we were sore at ourselves. Putting yourself on your resentment list is legitimate from the big book standpoint and from my own experience. How do I forgive myself? Two parts to that. Number one, when I finished the ninth step where I brought healing to other people, I received personal healing sufficient that I didn't have to forgive myself. Many people don't have that as a complete experience. And so then I, I, re I recommend to them that they apply the same process of steps eight and nine to themselves, but only after they finish their ninth step with everybody else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and um, I haven't said this, but I want to say this, and, and this is the perfect context to say this. The most important book I've ever read because of its effectiveness is the big book. You can tell probably from my background that I have an extensive education and background in reading. The best book I've ever read is the big book because it's an effective methodology that never fails. Never fails if it's properly interpreted and applied. The second best book, so this is high level of recommendation from my standpoint, is Dr. Luskin's book on Forgive for Good because it's equally as effective and as real and as applicable to our personal lives. If you don't have it, I recommend that you get it and that you engage somebody with the step work if you haven't done that or if you haven't done it for a long time, over three or five years, uh, and you go through the steps and then you read his book. And I do believe that you will find the freedom to forgive yourself in the healing sense. And I'm using that term very, very advisedly in the healing sense. Does that help? Absolutely, thank you so much. Oh, thanks for Norway, way, <laughs> got it. Um, I want to just uh, ask you quickly uh, something about uh, karma. Yes. Uh, and you had said, um, I have a life I created. And I'm imagining that you are referring to the have of the life is right in the now and not back when I was 10 and assaulted, let's say. Oh, exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah. So let's take that for a minute. Assaulted at 10, abused, whatever, what is 10 or 8 or 20, it doesn't matter. If you're 30 now or 40 or 50, that's history. That event is true. It did happen and it made it perhaps made an indelible impression on you that changed your life and the direction of your life. Yes. But now, as you just said, you're responsible for where your feet are today and how they move. Yes, you had an experience at 10 or 20 or whenever you had that experience but you are now not having that experience. You might, through the 12-step process, find a way to navigate it. You might need outside help, even medication in some very severe cases 
to assist in dealing with it. But then it's your responsibility to deal with your feelings, your life, your behavior, your thoughts, your actions today. Because every day when you take action, there will be consequences. So I'm going through the steps again, and this time in uh, AA rather than Al-Anon, as you said, uh, I got caught up in the draft. <laughs> and my question for you is, what is my responsibility specifically around self-will? Because I struggle still yeah. very much with self-will. And what is my role around that in what is my HP's role, if, if that makes sense? <laughs> well, it makes total sense. And in fact, it, again, it's, you guys are really engaged. It's the heart of the matter. On page 62, Bill says, you can struggle all you want, but you're doomed to, to failure. I'm paraphrasing. Unmanageability, its very nature, is self-centered, he says at the top of page 62. Selfishness, self-centeredness is the root of my trouble. And then at the end of that second paragraph, he said, we cannot reduce our self-centeredness much by wishing or trying on our own power. Once again, he's saying, we're as powerless over our self-will as we are over alcohol. We need to have a power other than ourself. We do not have a choice over our addiction. We do not have a choice over our self-will. We do have a choice, he says later on in step two, God or no God, and a relationship with that power. And then we are empowered, as he says at the end of step uh, 10 on page um, 85, that's the proper use of the will. The proper use of my will is, Thy will be done. With my free will, I'm aligning my free will with my understanding of the flow of the universe, God's will or reality as reality is. With my free will, I'm saying, thy will be done. I can't get there. Please take me there. Mm -hmm. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, so, yes, I, it does. And I've heard you say this a number of times today is that my my actions are in the process, not the result. Is that fair? That's fair, 100%. And I'm going to add an addendum to it because I just heard it the way you said it. But if I don't get the results I wanted or intended, I better take a look at my decisions and my actions. Okay so that I can change my decisions and my actions based on new information. So that, yeah, and that's, that's the, perfect. The, the continuous, okay, that's that makes sense. The, that's, the, that's the step 10. And he says in step 10, it's a lifetime matter. Watch for, watch for when they crop up. Not if, not if when. life is filled with speed bumps and I'm never gonna transcend my humanity. Yeah, Okay. yeah. Thank you. <laughs> oh, good to see you again. Thank you so much. You I turned my will and my life over to the care of God. And, and I listened for my answer. And how, how, how do I know to believe that answer? Like, how, how do I know that that's God's answer? How? 
Thank you. Help me there. First of all, we call it a practice. Right? Like the doctor, he practices. He adjusts his recommendation based on the outcome. A lawyer, we call it a practice. They adjust their approach based on the outcome that they're looking for or getting. Meditation and this journey of the spiritual navigation is a practice. We adjust. If we're not getting the outcomes that we had hoped for, we challenge ourselves. Was our hope for expectation realistic or a delusion? And were the actions based on knowledge and reality or fantasy? And were the actions effective? I mean, there's so many moving parts to it. And now the, the most pertinent answer to your question, and I believe the heart of a, a, a program and the most important moving piece of the entire 12-step recovery process is sponsorship, a sounding board. I had a sponsor, but he wasn't giving me what I needed. So I also engaged a step guide. Once I had the step guide and he revealed to me the way of breaking open step 11, I needed more help and he didn't have that information. I had to go to a spiritual director. That spiritual director is the one that said, you're as powerless over your meditation as you are over alcohol. He wasn't in a 12 step program but he was deeply spiritual. And because I'm, I'm becoming very aware of this uh, narcissism that I had never been aware of before, I engaged a therapist so that I could in fact get some professional help in dealing with my personality distortions. And, and so it's a wonderful question. I went to outside sources and resources as uh, the problems were uh, I, I became aware of and uh, I needed help that was not available in my immediate presence. Does that make sense? That's a, that's a really good question and I'm glad we had an opportunity to answer it the way I did. It makes sense to me and fear. Fear is my story I drag around behind me, Herb. That's yeah. my path. Yeah, yeah. And I drag into my present. You know, and it's interesting because uh, there's a study called the Enneagram, E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M. And it, that's a Greek word for nine. And I don't want to get into the teaching on it, but it's about personalities. And um, I believe it's very relevant to our work because it's about shadow work. And there are three different personality perceptions. One comes from anger, one comes from fear, and the other comes from shame fight, flight, and freeze, as I mentioned earlier. For at the basal, basic level of physiology, biology, as an instinct for survival, it translates into emotions and it, it translates into the primary lens through which we look at survival. Now, we have all three. You have all three, but your dominant one is fear. My dominant one is shame to hide and somebody else's dominant one is anger. Yeah, so anyway. Wonderful question. Thank you so much. How do I, it's, I'm still like, like you had mentioned, like there's somebody like in your heart that's tugging on your heart that it's yes. still there. Yes. And I just, I want to be free of this, but I'm like, I'm here because I don't know how. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And it's really frustrating, isn't it? Yes. It's like, why can't I get this person out of my head? Yes, yes, yes. 
Um, do you have a sponsor? I do. Um, is the sponsor knowledgeable about step four in the big book? Yeah, I mean, she's leading a workshop right now. Um, Wonderful. Ask her to help you do a laser-focused resentment review on column three and column four and take a look at the prayer that I mentioned about the removal of deep resentment. I do believe if you do that laser-focused work that you'll be able to find a path out of this bondage that you're in. It's the, because it's my path. And if you have, or your sponsor has any doubt about what I'm implying by that, read chapter four in my spiritual awakening book, or listen to the recordings on my website around column three and column four, because um, there's probably five or six 45 minute recordings it's a critical piece of work for us in step four to really understand, quite frankly, more than is actually revealed in the big book. This was revealed to me by two different step guides over about a five-year period. And now I've, that's what my teaching is uh, on these recordings, much deeper than, because I only touched the surface um, uh, here today in the column three, column four comments. All right. There is definitely a solution of freedom. It's 100% my experience. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for bringing it up the way you did, because quite frankly, that's the kind of pain that we're in that brings us to this whole concept of forgiveness. Not only forgiveness of other people, but as somebody mentioned, the forgiveness of ourselves. How do we get released from this burden? Yeah, thank you so much for that. It was very courageous of you. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. So what is it that you're struggling with? Let's get right to the point. I don't want a story. I want your laser-focused comment. My struggle is that I, I apologize for something. and then oh, that's, No, I don't want to hear the story. I want to know what your problem is. Doing the same thing over and over to be, you know, making the Why same. Why don't you stop it? Because it's, I think it's wired in me, like. Uh, yeah, it is actually. No, that's right. So have you, wait, 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 wait. This is a conversation. Have you done step four out of the big book? Yes. How long ago? A couple years ago, maybe. But then Sounds to me like it's longer than that. But anyway, um, do a laser focus on, and I've done it. I don't do steps one through 12 anymore. I don't seem to be drawn to that because I seem to have a complete experience. But every once in a while, I have a deep kind of a speed bump that I can't deal with in step 10. So I do a laser focus step four, digging down deep into column three and column four and using the prayer practice. And then I actually do step five on that and the balance of the steps on that laser focus. So that's my recommendation. We're not gonna solve it here today. Right, no, I understand that. But when speech is part of your problem, the way you speak to somebody, like just not being, you know, being judgmental and- Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Talk about your experience, not about generalities. But that's not general, that is my experience. I tend to talk down and be judgmental. 
And then I apologize. Are you are judgmental or they're judgmental? No, I'm judgmental. Okay. All right. So what's underneath? We're not going to solve it today, but the question for you is what's underneath that? Oh, because that's how I was treated when I was younger. Everything that's, I did. No, that's your excuse. Sorry. Oh. That's your excuse. You're not a victim. See, I'm actually. That's your excuse. No, you see, you haven't done the work. You need to do the work of focused in prayer, set aside prayer, and doing some work. Maybe column three, column four work again would dig down deep underneath because what is your belief and what are your motives? Column three is your beliefs, column four is your motives. And I was embarrassed at what I saw because I had been living in a delusion. And I couldn't see it until I did the work and I was given the gift of seeing it. And then God can heal me of that? My God, and how big is your God? He's big. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> no, that's right. And if you don't have a big enough God, go to God 2.0. It's got 2.0. That's a bigger God. Oh, 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 my God is huge. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, you're, you're, it's wonderful that you're asking the question. I can hear the struggle and the pain and the frustration. You can get on the other side of it. The whole point of what the work I do is to get on the side of the other side of it and have the freedom that you're looking for. Yep. But it will require some effort, and your sponsor may be helpful. And then again, I had to go beyond my sponsor. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. So how do you get through um, when you break down those resentments and the walls and all those defensive, and you get to the pain of, like, the stuff you said, that yeah. is just who we are, and we have to get past And I am not a victim. So I don't mean that. How do you just tell me the path out of that? All right. There's three paths or three components to the path as I'm hearing your question. Number one is prayer. That prayer for the removal of the resentment. I'm praying to the divine surgeon to enter into my soul and surgically remove the cancer of this resentment from me, number one. Number two, finish making amends if there is any, whether it's connected to this or not, but especially if it's connected to this, finish the amends if you haven't finished amends. Um, say it again. I know I, I have. In fact, I mean, I, at Earth? this point on my, on my amends list, the last one I just did a a few weeks ago, the only people on it was my ex-husband, you know, husband of 26 years and myself. Yeah. So, so you made those amends. And, and now part of the amends to yourself is, in fact, dealing with this lingering resentment that you have, apparently, right? I wasn't thinking it was, I was not thinking it's resentment. I was thinking it's more this kind of pain, this like ancient pain of, you know, shit that happened when I was extremely young, you know? Okay. All right. So even there, I, I've gotten creative based on the feedback I get from my workshop people who are wonderful. They're genius at exploring, amplifying the application of this work. So column three and column four are about resentment. 
But I've had people use it for jealousy, sadness, despair, depression. Why don't you use column three and column four from the viewpoint of the pain that you're experiencing? Use that word or a, a similar word that captures it and do the analysis of, of column three and column four and the prayer around that. And certainly accountability to some partner of yours in terms of transparency is important and um, see what happens on the other side of that. And then perhaps part of the ninth step is, and, and how can I bring healing into my life in step nine? How can I bring healing into my life around this pain? And it might require um, some outside resource like wow. perhaps therapy. So, and, and when you're looking at the column three and column four, like you might put your parents on there, no, or no, you don't have to go to that there. first no, column. Unless you, unless you have your parents as your resentment, okay. you're putting your pain on there. No. Because your parents are not your source of your problem. I, I, I just got, wow, that's so powerful. I just got, I just got the image of what you're saying. Thank you. All right. Wow. Yep. Thank you. You know, I have a sister who I've worked on forgiveness and have forgiven over and over and over, but it's still, the behavior still con continues. Well, what, what you're expecting it to change. <laughs> right. I guess, I guess I keep thinking that in well, order to get real, to in why order to get real. No, your sister is a jerk. <laughs> why don't you just get real? She's but, not going to change because you want her to. Yeah. So she, she's uh, not going to change because she needs to. Okay. So my solution would either be to stop being around her. Yes. But that means not being around other people in the family. Those are choices and consequences. Yeah. You have to figure it out. What are you willing to tolerate? But it's you tolerating it because you don't change reality. If you don't want to get wet, don't go out in the rain. Yeah. See, I keep thinking that. No, I know, I know what you're thinking. That because I've forgiven her, that yeah, I yeah. can be around no, her no, again. Because you're the fairy godmother with sprinkle dust. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. Yeah, okay, the, the brick wall is there, girl. Get a ladder <laughs> or go around the side. Yeah. But don't try to knock down the wall. You're going to get bruised. That's okay. wonderful. And you got it, right? Yeah. Yep, yep. Love. Oh, my word for 2021, I've, I've simplified it, is kindness. I'm going to look through the lenses, both lenses. Kindness. Yeah, I think it will change my attitude, which will change my reaction, which will change my relationships. Does that work? Uh, well, I, I think I do try to treat her with kindness, but well, it yeah, no. But you're expecting her to you're expecting her to appreciate that. Yes. <laughs> okay, I get yeah. it. It's a yeah. definition yeah. of insanity. Get off the Disneyland ride. Yeah. Yeah, your ticket's been punched. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much. Right. I I guess I'm I just struggle with how to let go. I guess. Yeah. My yeah. Absolutely.
That's you why know. I'm doing this workshop. Absolutely. That's how do you do that? It's not just, I mean, I, I'm glib when I say it's a decision to release and I make this gesture. Yeah, no, that's not, it's not that light switch. It's a dimmer switch. That's why I've gone to great lengths to incorporate a process of the steps all the way from one, all the way through nine. And I'm going to talk a little bit about eight and nine here in a minute. Um, but it, it's not, it's not something that you can say, oh, thank you, Herb. I got it. And you're done. No, that won't happen today. Yeah, because I, because oh. I've done a lot of, I've done a lot of work with my sponsor, and have you done, it, have you done the fourth step? Yeah, we've done the fourth step. So yes, you've done the fourth step. Did you do it out of the big book? Yes. Did you do an extended third column where you looked at your own belief about yourself and others? Um. I mean, yeah, we, we looked at, uh, you know, uh, what it affects, like yeah. it, it, different terminology, but yeah, right. what it affects. All right. All right. Did, did you, did you get in touch with your beliefs in that experience? Yeah. You know, I, I think so. Like, okay. I think, I think we've done the, the deep dive. Well, no, you actually, um, you may have, but not effectively because you're talking about it right now. So that's why I'm asking questions. I'm not criticizing it. I'm just saying, obviously, something didn't work for you. All right. So I'm asking these questions because I want to invite you to a, maybe a different and or a deeper look at steps, column three and column four. Um and in the column four, taking responsibility. What did what kind of work did you do in column four? Um, well, I looked at. I definitely looked with each with each of these three people. I looked at my part. Uh, my part was uh, like irresponsible behavior that caused a reaction out of them. You know. Okay, so that that's that's looking at your part in the creation of the event. How about looking at your role in the holding of your resentment itself? Why do you have it? Um, What's the value to you? What's the benefit to you? See, these are the questions that I ask people to ask themselves in column three, because you can look at the history and it's helpful to figure out what you did to contribute to the original event. But here you are now, wait, 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 wait. Here you are right now sitting with unresolved anger it has nothing to do with the event it has everything to do today right now here with the reason that you're holding this anger and you haven't let go yeah i i I feel like the the it's like i my need to be right or something you know then, then hold on to it it's killing you but you go ahead and you'll be right do you want to be right or do you want to be free I mean, yeah. that, you nailed it. You got great insight. You're right on the money from my standpoint. You got right to it. You didn't miss a beat. You got right to it. Yeah. Yeah. You've seen the truth, but you go, yeah, well, I am right. So I'm going to hold that. Yep. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like that taking poison, you know, but expecting someone else to die, you know. Yeah. And the problem is that disturbance of anger 
It's killing you. It's withering your soul, let alone what it might be doing to your body. Yeah. 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 So that's the value proposition. And that's why I really recommend the prayer practice. But first you have to see the truth. And you've seen it. I want to be right. Okay. Until you are willing to be released from that, you're going to be wrapped around the axle of anger. Yep. All right. Yep. Thanks. Yeah. The good news is there's a solution. The bad news is it's going to require some work. So um, a lot of my resentments come out of uh, my expectations of reality. And when they are not in alignment, of course, right, with, with reality. Um, and something you said just completely opened up, again, just coming back to, but I'm, I'm supposed to be aligning myself with God's reality and God's will. And the, the biggest resentment I have right now towards my sister it's something that is God's will. That's God wanting it to be as it is. We don't know that. We don't know about God's mind because we're not mind readers, especially of the divine, but it is what is. It is what is. And me having an expectation that it should be changed or different is what's out of alignment, right? <laughs> it's delusional. Um, it's delusional. It's, I'll get really more blunt. It's out of alignment, yes, but it's delusional. And arrogant. Um, and arrogant. Okay, you of can me. Use those words. Yeah, no, I get it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, anyhow, uh, so as I was doing this work also um and listening to you, I even wrote out my what you just this is so relevant to the comment that was just made. Uh, I wrote out, why am I holding on to this resentment? And I came to, I want to be right. I am right. I'm, in, I'm the right one. I'm the person who knows best. And it may and, be true. Well, and what's the fear about that? The fear is loss of control, loss of power. So I'm back to step one. Yeah. And, and tell me about your control. My control? Oh. <laughs> my... <laughs> oh, I'm my... so glad that you're oh. laughing. Yes, because you know the truth, right? Yes, completely. So it, my delusion that I can have some or or that I or what what is reality that Let's I focus on the word control. Do you have any? Uh, I can. Really? What do you control? I can control my relationship with power through meditation and prayer. And, oh, I I have to. All right. I I prefer the word influence, but in the context that you used it, I think it was just fine. Yeah. I prefer the word influence because even my practice, I don't control I influence it. I want to know that I control it. I want to think that I control it. Yeah, no. I influence it by showing up. But but in the context, the way you used it, I, yeah, I'll, I'll give it a pass. 
and otherwise maybe i don't have much control over anything <laughs> try controlling your blood pressure try controlling yeah. your breathing try to control your heart rate try to control your emotional reactions i know yeah. <laughs> now that's inside of you all right try to control the wind try to control the sun try to control your sister yeah well i have been trying to <laughs> how's that well. working for you right dr phil yeah exactly, <laughs> exactly. pretty badly yeah. uh there's one last thing i just wanted to share and i really mean this to everyone on this call that resentment prayer if you keep doing it it absolutely works i had resentments that just melted away and it was like one day they were gone they were just gone so you should i really truly and i'm not even finished i know i still have this is a process and i have a lot of work to do still in my step work but that that has been amazing so yeah. thank you question you keep referencing column three and column four yeah. and i have found those to be very unsatisfying in the past with the way it's done in the big book because oh, i don't have it i need more words yes, you I, do. do you have any literature on that in your a way of life document yes like uh, more words more descriptions oh, 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 oh. you're looking for words <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. You, you came to a drinking fountain and you found a fire hose um so uh, yeah so go to the step four material in the way of life document okay. i don't have it in front of me so i don't have the exact pages but it's really okay. easy to find it's right after step three and um <laughs> yeah exactly uh and there's a column three worksheet and a column four worksheet and in between okay. is the prayer for the removal of deep resentment and it's life-changing. I've had seven psychiatrists and clinical psychologists adopt those, three, those two worksheets to use with their patients in a modified form because they found them so effective in penetrating the unconscious. Yeah. And if you have any question about it, you're welcome to email me. Listen to the recordings on the web because there's a dialogue like this uh in going through those worksheets and so you might want to do that yeah thanks thank you herb. exactly what my resentments were like um, um herb knows them well because he's been listening to them for my entire sobriety um but you know yeah i did the work i mean i did worksheets on a couple of them multiple times same resentment because i couldn't get free of the pain and it had all those things it had well, I know that there's some codependency in this. I know that I got some rejection. There's some family of origin. God knows what else I'm throwing on top of this thing. I mean, just confusion. But I tell you, you know, sticking with the work, continuing sticking with the work, sticking with the prayer. And I believe I got a relief, a lot of relief in the, um, in the prayer meditation is where the, the, I would writhe in pain. <laughs> And it would come up and out, and I'd be, ah. and I think just through the process of all that, I got free. And those resentments are literally just, I get emotional thinking about it, but I'm emotional because I'm free. <laughs> you know, I'm connected to the story of, of the freedom story. Um, you, you said the freedom story in contrast to the Jason original story. Would you talk a little bit about that difference and how you found it and how you navigated it? 
Yes. <laughs> well, okay. Yeah. I'll give it a shot in a very nutshell. Well, because you've been around and I know you've had the experience. Well, I mean, everyone's hit on it. You know, it's, it's, I've got these, I, you know, I came in with all kinds of delusion and pain and, um, and in my addictions and convulsions, my, my resentments and my, and my, um, unforgiveness was so much part of my personality. I didn't even know I had it. I mean, I couldn't even see it. And through this process, number one, getting rid of the addictions, that was the medication. This pain came up <laughs> it had to be dealt with. And I felt it all. And, um, and like you've all hit the, the script, I didn't know I had a script and boy, did I have a script and it was a rigid one, you know? And if you, um, if you weren't following the script, there were huge consequences. I mean, it was highly offensive. And, um, but I didn't know I had that. That was a subconscious thing. I also didn't know that I created anger. I was a victim by my resentments. I was a victim, you know, anger is just something I have. And her asked me, why are you creating this anger? And he was speaking Mandarin Chinese to me. <laughs> what are you talking about? You know, I'm not creating it. No, you're creating it. We got to find out why. I'm like, holy shit. Maybe I'm creating anger. And now I kind of can catch myself creating it over some circuit. I'm like, whoa, I'm creating. Stop creating. Stop the story. See, that's the pause of step 10. Is yes. that I, I'm feeling some disturbance. And so feelings are a signal to us that something's amiss. I'm out of alignment. I'm going back to the script and the story. That's a delusion. And, and so we pause and so I pause, pray, I, you know, I've come up with my own little, I forgive them. No, they're good. They're just a person. They're just whatever they are, you know, and I get out of it. I stop the, I stop the creation of the anger. What about taking reality personally? <laughs> right. I was, I, was getting, I was just getting to this too. And then the, that was the big revelation, especially when it came to things not working out for me. Cause I thought, you know, I'm being punished by life. I'm a victim by life. I'm a victim by God. I'm a victim by my anger. And um, no, no, I'm not a victim by any of these things. My will is going against life and it's causing problems. That's, that's what I'm a victim of. I'm a victim by my own choices. And so it's not personal. The gravity doesn't care about my skin color. You know, it doesn't care about who who my parents are. It doesn't care about what my religion is. Gravity is always gravity. It always will be. It's got no emotion behind it. And it's the same thing with these spiritual laws. These principles, they work for everybody. That's what gets me. Forgiveness works for everybody. You will benefit from for forgiving. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter what year you were born or what tribe you're from. It works. Or what trauma you experience. Or what trauma you, or how deep the trauma is. That's right. It doesn't matter. You know, it, it works 100% of the time. And that's what I continue to do. And I've, I'm still working in some areas, but some areas I'm totally free. Yeah. Thank you. That was wonderful. And a great uh, segue into the balance of what we're doing here. The image I want you to embrace and think about as you... Uh, think about what happened today and that is about the the channel changer on your tv 
You see, you hold the remote control. Which story do you want to watch? The story that you created up to this point based on your delusions and your hurts, based on being a victim? Or do you want to change the channel and reframe it? That's my favorite word today, to reframe it. You've heard before, the glass is half empty, the glass is half full. The negative pessimist and the positive optimist. But it's really true. It's a choice. The glass doesn't change. The quantity of water in the glass doesn't change. But my attitude about it does. That was the point that Dr. Frankel made um, in Man's Search for Meeting. Nothing changed in Auschwitz except his attitude about it. He was able to accept reality for what it was, criminal, horrible, despicable. But he was able to say, oh, but this is what is. To see it for what it is, to accept it, it's not acceptable. But for right now, it is what is. And I adjust to it. It won't adjust to me. That's this thing with the sisters, right? She's not going to adjust to you. That's the same with everybody that shared here. And, and quite frankly, everybody who didn't, you can all relate to it. It's just what is. Reality's not personal. Oh my God, we make it personal. Dr. Berger, who is my colleague in co-facilitating emotional sobriety uh, workshops, he said, don't take anything outside of you personal. Take everything inside of you personal. Wow, how simple is that? He also says, we use we, we, take, we place our center of gravity deep inside ourselves. We don't place our center of gravity in people or circumstances. We cut the strings, the puppet strings of circumstances and people. And we own it ourselves. We keep that center of gravity so we have stability deep down inside of ourselves. So let's go back to some slides here. So we're looking at the freedom that is uh, available to us. Forgiveness is that process that we talked about. It came about through step eight and nine, where we named the harms. I did. I named the harms that I did. The harms are not my behavior. The harms are the impact of my behavior. And amends has two components, like a coin has two sides. I amend my behavior, meaning I change. If I'm being dishonest and that's how I cause harm, now I'm going to be honest. But if my dishonesty caused you to make decisions that impaired your life, then I need to bring some repair to the damage that my dishonesty or gaslighting caused. I'll spend more time next year on looking more deeply at steps eight and nine. Right now, 
It's who did I diminish? What did I do? What harm did I cause? What specific action is necessary to repair that damage? And am I willing to? These, this is a list from my way of life document. You don't need to make a note of that unless you want to, of course, but it's in that way of life document. You might want to download it. It's a, 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 a wonderful resource for each of the steps, which will help you certainly, but will help the people who you might want to help navigate each of these steps as a resource for them. And then, of course, amends is to describe the harm when you're meeting with the people face-to-face -face or on the phone or writing a letter. Ask them if there's any other harm, because I'm not aware necessarily of all the harms that I've done, especially when I was in my active addiction. I was literally in either blackouts or whiteouts most of the time. I make a suggestion as to how I can repair the damage. But then I ask them, is there anything that you would have me do? And of course, that's got to be done with common sense and, and experience and guidance. Eight and nine are the two steps you can't do on your own effectively. Because you're the subject, and this needs to be done very objectively. You're the subject so that you cannot be objective as the subject. We enter the world of the spirit in step 10. And you've seen this before, of course. The first half of the first step, we're guaranteed in step 10 when we finish step nine to be placed in a position of neutrality. We have recovered. We have physical sobriety, but we're not cured. The whole point of second stage recovery is emotional sobriety and then I believe spiritual sobriety. We don't have time to go in any depth to all of that, but this is the best kept secret in the 12 step rooms. What does it mean not cured? What does it mean not cured? I believe it means that we're, our life is unmanageable. And that um, we need on a daily basis to deal with step 10. Step 10 is to clear the channel. We talked about the St. Francis prayer. Clearing the channel, a repetition of steps four through nine in step 10. Filling the channel in step 11. With what? Filling it with what? Life. Light, power, grace, you choose. What's your purpose of prayer and meditation? I did a three-hour event in October, I believe it was, on prayer, meditation, intentional consciousness. In September, I did a three-hour overview of step 10 and emotional sobriety. This coming year, I'm going to do a series, monthly series of three-hour events on different aspects of the spiritual journey like I'm doing today. The final piece, of course, of our way of life is step 12, where we empty the channel. 
or the channel is emptied in each of us finding our own path to doing that. The problem is, of course, that as human beings, we have those beliefs. You see, the color is blue. If I'm looking through my lenses of blue, I will see blue. I won't know I'm seeing blue because I'm looking through the lens that makes everything blue. I couldn't see that I didn't see, and I didn't know that I didn't know because those were the lenses I was wearing. Those lenses had been developed over my entire lifetime. I grew into them, and they were the way I saw the world outside of me. I don't see reality as I am. I see reality as it is. And unfortunately, those lenses are distorted. And Bill says in the 12 and 12, it's a spiritual axiom. When I'm disturbed, there's something wrong with me. Well, we've been talking about that for the last couple hours, especially around column three and column four. The problem is not and is never them. Oh, my, please hear this. It's in your face. I'm really confronting you to open your heart, open your mind. Yes, you have been victimized. It's true. No, no, no. I'm totally aware. Negative impact on people's lives from other people or circumstances. It is true. But it's my reaction to life and circumstances and people that is the problem. Circumstances and people are not my problem. Life is not my problem. Reality is not my problem. My reaction is my problem. My disturbance is my problem. And I'll have a signal in my emotional system, in my limbic system of anger or fear or hiding some distortion of my emotions. And if I'm awake and paying attention, which is what step 10 is, vigilance, then in fact, I'll be able to take the action. I watch for these things that I looked in step four. And I take the action of prayer because I'm powerless and discussing it with somebody because I'm human and I need to be accountable. I need to make an amend because sure as shooting, if I'm disturbed, I'm going to disturb you. I mean, that's just what it is. I pass it on. I'm contagious. Now, the truth is I'm always contagious. That has a negative connotation when we're talking about the disease, but we're also contagious when we're talking about the healing or the principles or the light. If I'm filled with the light, I'm going to spread the light. If I'm filled with darkness, I'm going to fill the space around me with darkness. One of my teachers is Richard Rohr. He's a Franciscan priest, brilliant man, prolific writer, probably a prophet and a mystic. Um, writes on a variety of subjects, not the least of which is 12 steps. He's not in 12 steps, but a deeply spiritual appreciation of the methodology. It's um, Breathing Underwater is the name of his 12-step book. And um, he says, we either transform it or we transmit it. Wow, that's in your face. We either transform those bedevilments or we transmit them. My experience is that we're always transmitting. We are contagious. 
If I'm filled with light, I'm spreading the light. If I'm filled with darkness, I'm spreading the darkness. And I'll know. Because if, I, if I'm filled with light and I've had the awakening and I've had the conversion and I've had the transformation, I'm in a mindset, an attitude of always releasing or wanting to release or trying to release or being at least aware that I need to release. And to trust, these are the antidotes to the four things on the far left column. To trust if I'm in fear, to be honest if I'm dishonest, and to be in a state of love. I looked up the word altruism to try to get a better definition because love is such an ambiguous, overused term. Look up the word altruism in your dictionary. In mine, it said, to provide a benefit to someone else with no possible benefit for yourself. Wow. That comes as close to unconditional love as I've ever seen a definition. Unconditional, meaning there's no condition of helping. Providing a benefit to somebody else with no potential benefit to yourself, at least as part of your motivation. That's emotional sobriety. Forgiveness is a process. It's a decision to release them. But it's not a light switch. It's a dimmer switch. It's a process in which we make a decision and we take some actions and realize that we are released. Forgiveness is not to condone or forget. Look at the words or tolerate, or ignore, or approve, or excuse, or minimize. Forgiveness is not to pardon, or to deny, or to absolve, or to reconcile. Please hear that. You don't have to reconcile with somebody that you don't want a relationship with. That's not the point. It's certainly not an invitation to be hurt again. Don't put yourself in harm's way. You can have a relationship if you want it, but many of our conversations were about you may not want the relationship. You want to take care of the damage that you did. That's a responsibility from an emotional as well as a spiritual basis. But you may not want any ongoing relationship, even with family members. And you don't surrender justice. I had a young man do the steps with me and he was raged by his father who had molested his two daughters. Unbeknownst to him until he was aware of it, he was in program for about 10 years and was going through the steps to deal with this rage. <clears throat> and at the end of it, he used the column three and column four to deal with his feelings about it. He used the prayer to heal from the feeling of rage and uh, uh, grievance that he had about his father molesting his two young daughters. And then he called the local police and had his father arrested and went to court and had him put in prison for six years. He forgave his father, he loves his father. He sees his father on a regular basis. 
but he was going to not signal to his daughters that what grandpa did was okay. He put grandpa in prison at age 68 for six years because it wasn't okay. And there are consequences to that behavior. He did not surrender justice. It's very dramatic, but it really makes the point. Forgiveness is a decision to not retaliate or exact revenge or seek compensation or judge. Those are not our jobs as human beings. We are not God. The big book is very clear. Page 62. We have to quit playing God. Well, because it doesn't work, it says. We're not the center of the universe. We are the center of our life. We are the center of our life, not the center of life itself. Our role is a decision to release them. In that process, it's my experience that I was released. I made a decision to do some work to release them in step nine. I was surprised to find that in that process, I became free. It wasn't my expectation and it wasn't my instructions from my step guide, but it absolutely was my experience. I was released when I decided to go through a process of releasing them. So who is coming to save me? Nobody's coming. It's a line from a local psychologist, Nathaniel Brandon, who had that sign over his office, the entrance to his office, a psychologist that treats people with their problems. He wanted to have them be confronted right up front. Nobody's coming. You see, we're somewhat delusional, trained in our culture, especially by sort of the Disney culture, the fairy godmother, the prince, the wand, the fairy dust, the Calvary's coming, the white knight, always a happy ending. Life may not be like that. There's nobody coming. And here's something you might want to meditate on. God's not coming. God's not coming. If there is this reality, it's already here. There is, one of the mystics said, there is no place that there is not God. We had that conversation, in fact, somebody brilliantly looked at the words in the big book and challenged them. God is everything or God is nothing. What does that mean? That's what it means. If there is this reality, this power, this life force, this universal source and resource, as Appendix 2 in the back of the book, page 567 says, unsuspected inner resource, unsuspected. I studied seven years in a monastery. I didn't suspect that this power was deep inside of me. 
I studied self-development and psychology and then got into AA and studied all of the material that is provided to us as resources. And at age 48, finally, I began to do the steps and thaw out internally. And in 1994, for the very first time, 10 years sober, I was asked those veil rending questions that I asked you to ask yourself, what do you believe and how do you behave? And at 10 years of sobriety, I finally, finally saw the big book. Page 55, seek honestly, seek diligently, think honestly, sorry, think honestly, seek diligently, seek fearlessly. Two different paragraphs, a redundancy that is not normal for Bill with his literary style, so it must be pretty important. Two paragraphs saying the same thing. Think honestly, search diligently, search fearlessly, deep down inside yourself. And that's the only place you're going to find this power deep down inside, unsuspected inner resource. The source of my life Underneath is the animating force that brings the acorn to a sapling to an oak tree. I am the one. I am the one that I am waiting for. To show up, to take responsibility, to make decisions, to take actions, to look for resources, to be accountable, to take directions that I don't believe in, to take actions I don't want to do, to have thoughts and attitudes and feelings that are repulsive to me or foreign to me. This is the turning, a decision to take action based on somebody's experience and their suggestions. Forgiveness is a process. Awakening is a process, that dimmer switch that goes up a notch at a time. You see, we're turning. We're turning. If in fact, self-centeredness is the problem, self-centeredness, look at me, look at my picture. If self-centeredness is the problem, then the turning to other-centeredness is the solution. It's no accident. This is the ritually signal, the ritual signal for prayer. A relationship with other with a capital O. This is in fact a ritual signal for a relationship with others in service, in helping them. I'm turning from my self-centeredness, not to give up myself, but to become myself. I did a lot of work in the area of happiness for a project that I was asked to do three years ago. And I read the studies from Harvard and the University of Pennsylvania on happiness you know that Harvard has a department on happiness. Of course they do. 
Um, yeah, yeah, it was created after positive psychology developed in the University of Pennsylvania and or Pittsburgh, someplace there. And uh, Harvard developed their Department on Happiness. And out of both of those scientific researches by really, really credible people, thoroughly scientific, they developed several books. I read about 10 of them. Every one of them concluded that if you really want to be happy, that's your goal. You will never be happy. Wow. If you, that's your goal to be happy, you will never be happy. Because happiness is not a product, it's a byproduct. It's a byproduct of my relationship with the universe, with reality itself, and my contribution to humanity around me. Well, the Buddhists codify that as wisdom and compassion. The Jews codify that as a loving God with all your heart and loving your neighbor as yourself. And the Christians codify it by saying, loving God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. And loving your neighbor as God loves you. You hear a resonating theme here? And step 12, excuse me, and the step process brings us into steps 11 and 12, which I consider to be spiritual sobriety. Improving our consciousness in step 11 and enlarging our consciousness in step 12. So that I have a relationship with reality with a capital R. You get to decide. Each one of us gets to decide what that means. Reality with a capital R. And I have a relationship of service or helping in reality with a small r to the community of people within my sphere. I'm not going to go to India to help the poor and indigent. That's not my invitation. That's not my role. I'm not going to become a psychologist, therapist, or a medical doctor here to heal in the respective areas. That's not my role. I have been given an invitation to do what I do, to understand and to transmit the approach to the light that I've experienced. My perception of my role is that I'm a lantern. I think each of us can be a lantern. We're not the light. Let's not confuse it. We're not the light. We're the lantern. The light in us can grow and improve. That's step 11. The light in us can become enlarged the more we use it, of course, the more we give it away, the more we have it. One of those spiritual paradoxes. And as we give it away, we keep it. And as we give it away, we grow it. A lantern that stands by the path, that lights the path so that you can walk it. You can walk the path in the light of my experience in order to have your own experience. I don't want you to be mini herbs. That's not my goal at all. My goal is for you to be who you really are, to drop the matrushka image, the mask and their persona and the false self, to have it peeled away like the caterpillar coming out of the crystallis, becoming the monarch butterfly. If you want a meditation prompter, Google monarch butterfly and watch a four minute time lapse. Four minute time lapse 
from the seed that makes the caterpillar to the caterpillar that crawls up into the crystallis, from the crystallis that breaks open eventually over time and the, and the monarch butterfly emerges. That's our journey to die. No, no, that's our journey to die. Bill said it, I said it at the beginning of our time together, the deflation of the ego at death, the death of the false self. Eckhart Tolle said it. The secret to life is to die before you die and realize there is no death. Powerful, a wisdom saying, a springboard for a meditation on reality and my role in relationship with it. Ask yourself the question, how free do I want to be? That's the challenge. My experience is that there is wonderful freedom from addiction. That's guaranteed in the big book on page 85, placed in a position of neutrality. There's also wonderful freedom from unmanageability. That's suggested on page 85 as a daily reprieve. We're not cured, but we have a daily reprieve if we do steps, incorporate steps 10, 11, and 12 into our daily lives. We're rocketed into a fourth dimension, he says on page 25, but we're in orbit beginning with step 10. We've entered the world of the spirit. We're in orbit around the light and we can stay in orbit around the light as long as we make daily adjustments. An adjustment when we're disturbed, meaning we're out of alignment in step 10. An adjustment in the morning to understand the guidance that we need to stay in orbit during the day. An adjustment in step 12 based on principles and helping other people in step 12. This is an organic methodology built specifically for human beings. As I showed you in the adapted, adopted Maslow hierarchy of needs that I call the organic development of the human spirit. It's organic. We cannot make a tulip grow by pulling on it. There's no violence here. It's a gentle, but rigorous process, demanding and embarrassing, and we will suffer through it like dying in the chrysalis. But we emerge after we finish step nine and we practice 10, 11, and 12. We emerge in the flight of freedom, free of the burden of the instincts that put us in bondage and the emotions that keep us in bondage. But we manage it with our cortex. We manage it with our knowledge. We manage it with our knowing. We manage it with our free will. We manage it with our decisions and the actions that follow it. I needed help. As I mentioned throughout our, our conversation today, I need a lot of help from a lot of people. But they can't do it for me. But they can share their experience as lanterns themselves and I can walk in the light of their experience and have my own experience and then become a stronger light for you. So I'm going to end there. Right now we're going to talk to you and you're going to talk to me and the rest of us. My question is about your resentment prayer that you referenced and so I was looking for it in this book and on what, what does it say? <laughs> Yeah, it says prayer for freedom from resentment, 
God, yeah. Yeah. so-and-so, that's like it. me, that's, oh, is a spiritually sick I, person? Yes, that's correct, but I wrote the book in, two, excuse me, I published the book in 2010, probably wrote it in 2008. So it's a early version. My newest version is in the Way of Life document, which I revamped for 2020's workshops. So you want to go to that one to see at least the current version. You can contrast it to see what it means in terms of the changes. And that's just up to you. Prayers are not about words. They're about intention. And the intention here is to have soul surgery where the cancer is removed from you. So I'm, okay. really, I'm glad that you asked the question, but did you have more? Yes, thank you. Um, and, I'll, and I'll look for it in the way of life. Um, so the second part of the question, and you can tell me if it's different in the way of life, life, but the last sentence is, please show me how I can be helpful to so-and-so. And well, and then thy will be done. Yeah. So I'm, I wanted to ask you about that last sentence, show me how I can be helpful to so-and-so for two reasons. One is, Personally and professionally, I'm can be compulsive about helping people. It's actually part of my problem is thinking that, you know, I'm so wonderful and, and should help everybody and fix, manage, and control. Right. Um, uh, so compulsively helping people is not a good thing for me. The other thing is that the people for whom I have deep resentments. I'm hard pressed to want to help them. Yeah, I want but, to release but, but myself. But you want to think and feel differently. Yeah. So, so tell me brain. what you mean by how I, do I help these people for whom I have deep resentments where- that's No, that's the question. Yes. That's the prayer, that's the question. No, I'm not giving you an answer. I'm supporting the question. So this pray- is for you to be led and to- And ask, how can I be helpful to somebody for whom I have a deep resentment, yes. that's yes. the prayer. That's yes. it. And it's also part of the question. I, I really, I, I hope they die and go to hell, but I'm, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm doing what I'm told. I don't want to pray this prayer. I, I am not one bit willing. Not one bit willing, but I'm willing to be willing. Please bring your crowbar, God. Well, you said something earlier, too, about how we do this prayer not for them, but for us. To release well, why would you us. pray? Yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, that's the wording in the big book. That's correct. We're praying for our own excision. We're praying for our own exorcism. If these are bedevilments, I need exorcism. Yeah. Because honestly, I'm not, I'm not really motivated to pray for them. <laughs> but, but, but you're not praying for them. You're praying for your own healing. Part of your healing is the question, is there any way that I can, in fact, be of help to them? Okay. I got an answer in a graveyard making amends to my dead father for whom I had this visceral rage. And the wee small voice said, take care of your mother. And that's a story for another day. Okay. Thank you, Herb. This has been wonderful. With some of my most painful 
horrible, wounded resentments. Um, there's a few of them I couldn't even pray that prayer of resentment by the book. No, oh, yeah. Because it would just, you know, <laughs> I, I, I had to have the person completely out of the picture oh, yeah. with one of them. Then I had to have myself kind of out of the picture with another one. And one particular um, resentment was I couldn't even acknowledge them. I just had to say, God, I am a very sick person. Mm. I couldn't call them a sick person or they're sick just like me. I couldn't be identified with them. Nothing. But God, I am sick. Please help me. <laughs> Basically, just help me. Help me let go of it. But as, as far as doing something kind for them, God, let their death be quick. You know, <laughs> let their let the piano fall on their head. You know, I mean, I couldn't I couldn't pray those prayers without that coming out of it. Get it. So after a hundred times of trying it, I just gave it up and modified the prayer. Yep. Um, brought it before the Sanhedrin on Tuesday night, and it was approved, and it was great, and it worked. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, great. Um, just to encourage, you know, we can get we can get creative with it. You know, yeah. we can get, you know we don't have to be rigid. You know? Oh, please. Oh, right. This, this is. See, this is the freedom of true spirituality, authentic spirituality. And Bill said it. It's all inclusive. It's never exclusive. It's never rigid. It's always flexible. Wear the garment loosely. Absolutely. Oh, oh I love it. Yeah. yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. So my, um, my question is, and um, it borderlines resentment, but it's it's like a regret. I have like okay. a regret for uh, a situation in my life that maybe it had to do with I want uh, you know I'm celebrating the passing of my brother's death, and and I regret that I didn't contribute more to his service, and sure. I kind of sure. regret resent myself for that. Yeah. And then I know you say we put ourselves last on the list, and I it's not like I'm feeling sorry for myself or falling down that rabbit hole but i get this like reset resentment this regret that i i could have did more and yeah. um, i don't know I, I really hear that and um many of the people in my workshops over the years have helped me be creative in expanding the application of this work so in the third and fourth column rather than using resentment they use the word uh, that is plaguing them. So in your case, regret. Don't use the word resentment, but do a third and fourth column the way you would have in resentment, but do it on the word regret. Now, it will take some adaptation, some creativity, some prayer on your part, but I've had people process sadness, despair, um, betrayal, um, and, and different words, grief, uh, especially and regret, uh, through the third and fourth column, and every one of them has had a transformative experience connecting to the truth of that. Okay. All right. Perfect. Great question. I'm basically pretty cynical about a lot of things. The prayer for resentment I was so, I didn't even understand it, but I was so desperate and so willing to trust. 
that I just started to do it. And I started to say that prayer every day. I had a time I did it. I did it, you know, every day. I'm still doing it. I do it for each person. And it has just been such a, an amazing thing. It really relieved me. I would never have been relieved of the resentment I felt. Right. I was so deep down into it. I could have killed with a gun. <laughs> That's how angry I was. And I'm relieved. It's gone. Yes. Yeah. And, and, now, and, and the miracle say it might for come me. Back, but it hasn't. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, Go no, it, it doesn't come back. That's right. Now, it doesn't mean I'm free of irritation or annoyance because I'm human. But nothing as gross and as large as those deep resentments. Right. And the beauty is I understand now what that prayer is. So those questions that were yeah. asked before, yeah. those will be answered for you in time. But I didn't get that prayer at first, but I did it. Right. I acted as if. And acting as if is really so important in this program. Right. It is. Whether I believe or I don't believe, just That's act right. as if what else is there? That's right. You know, uh, it's counter it's counterintuitive, but it's deep spiritual wisdom. And now it's been validated as psychological science. And that is, it doesn't matter what we think and know. It doesn't matter how we feel. It does matter how we do. And when we do differently, we change our brain. We know that now. We didn't know it 15 years ago. When we do behave differently, we change the neural synapses in our brain so that we can, in fact, think differently and we can feel differently. And act differently. Well, then eventually, obviously, act differently. And speak right. differently. Organically, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wonderful. Thank you. Her, Thank there's no way you can be thanked for this. This is like, yeah. this is it. Well, yes, I, I can be. And that is you pass it on to somebody else. This is... Multi-level marketing at its best. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. Um, you know, all these, all this talk that we have about the script and expectations and all this stuff. Um, and I've been dealing with it for the past six years on a, you know, on a very specific basis with each wound, resentment and disturbance and all that. And just in this past month, I've, stumbled on the consciousness of kind of accepting the world as it is mm. and it's been this all a very general all-encompassing thing when it comes to religious people politics <laughs> the drivers um you know with with all my resentments in mind my whole history in mind of going okay then you've just been expecting people to act a certain way <laughs> right you know i mean i've been going from these very specific things over the years and just this last month in a very general sense i'm like okay and this i don't want to sound like a jerk jerk when i make this statement because i i love people but i'm going people are nuts people are selfish it's just the way it is they're not going it's not going to change in fact my, my, um, my problem is me expecting them to ch change in some kind of way or expecting the world to somehow get it, you know, after, you know, after all the work I've done, they should somehow get it, you know, or, or something, you know, like, 
And that's a delusion. Yeah. It's a delusion for me to think that the world is going to change. Yeah. The only thing that is ever going to change, if I'm lucky, is me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's so freeing to kind of be there. And I was able to share it with a friend of mine outside the outside the um, the fellowships. And um, it was really neat when I was able to verbalize that. And this is the first I've verbalized it here. So wonderful. Yes, yes, yes. It's um, a journey that keeps on giving, actually. I, I'm working on um, my step nine and I've I've got to say, I've been using your, your process and I had just a sister that I could not get along with and it was broken. And through this, it's brought so much healing and grace and it's only what God could have done. I mean, and it, it's been back, it's just, thank God um, it's been changed. But I have one resentment to do with my sister-in-law and I, I'm at this point where she had, we have not talked in probably about 15 years. My husband called her on Thanksgiving. Now I've made amends with my husband and he's seen everything that's happening. Um, and she doesn't like to receive phone calls. So she got real anxious. She's got um, kind of end of COPD. And I was thinking I should make, if do my amends to her, if I should email her or, but he, he was concerned that my husband's not in program, but he was concerned that she would get too anxious with everything. So I'm not quite sure what to do or how to do that amends. Well, uh, are you clear on the amends? What's the harm done? The harm done, I was a domineering um, No, that's what you did. No, that's what you did. I asked okay. you what the harm was. Um, what the harm was to her, it was, um, maybe this is the problem. The yeah, harm to it's her. Always, it's always the problem when yeah. people ask the question. <laughs> the, well, the harm to her is putting her down, making her. No, that's what you me. did. Okay. I'm looking at my sheet. I know. Um, That was resentment. The harm I did, I had to, well, the, I no, guess I can, no. okay, help, help me, please. <laughs> well, I am, I am, I am yeah. having uh -huh. you, I'm having you struggle because you don't know what the harm is. Yeah, I guess that's probably, that's, you know, I can see how I manipulated her. I can that's what see you did. I could, was controlling her. That's what you did. And every time I talked to her, I could sense she was getting so anxious. Ah, well, so there, perhaps you created an environment that she responded to anxiety, with anxiety. So there was stress. That's the okay. harm that you created was you created an environment of stress. Okay. Well, I don't know that. I'm, I'm yeah, no, that, that, with you. But, it, but the best thing you can do is ask her. Okay, so... But if she's um, reluctant to take phone calls, why don't you write her, handwrite, not email, okay. handwrite a letter inviting okay. her to a conversation because you know you've been dominating and dismissive and 
whatever else the other words are that you describe your behavior, okay. but you're not sure of the impact on her. And if she wants to, would she be willing to discuss that with you? Because you want to heal the relationship if you do. And you okay. want to have a comfortable relationship from you to her and from her to you, if you do. And that's what you put in the letter. Okay. And then okay. let her uh, read that for a little bit in a week or two, uh, ask her or email her uh, or send her another letter if you haven't heard from her. Um, uh, did she get it? Did she read it? Does she want to have a conversation? Because you're going to create more harm if you push your agenda onto her. Yeah, that 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 was that's what I've been trying to wrestle with. But that, well, that, oh, that yeah, exactly. Yeah, you. Does that help? Oh, wonderfully! Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah you're welcome. Uh, I feel that I'm holding on to the grief or the uh, disappointment more than the resentment, yeah. but. You said that the prayer, the same prayer worked for, for both. Well, I actually didn't say that. Oh, or that's what I, I do, heard. <laughs> I do like that. No, no, no. That's an expansion of what I would have said had I thought of. <laughs> but that's what I said was using the different words for column three, column four. All right. Because ah. he had regret and you have a word. What was the word that you uh, Grief and disappointment. There. Those would be wonderful words to look at in column three, column four. But then to bring it into the prayer, boom, that's a that's an expansion now. I didn't think of that. I, oh. I can now recommend that. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. okay. Well, because that's your intention, isn't it? See, prayer is not about words. It's about the intention. Prayer doesn't change God. Let's get really clear. God can't change. God can't come, God can't go, God can't reward, God can't punish. At least the God of my understanding or not understanding, all right? Because God just is. So why do I pray? Not to change God, but to be changed myself. Exactly. So the words are not important. The intention is important. But we express our intention in words, and that helps us get very clear about our intention. Yeah. Thank you. I'm so glad that you uh, pressed the button because <laughs> it, it expanded. No, um, our share here. That was wonderful. Thank you. The analogy, and it really works for me. If, uh, Nate, if you see a really tall tree, you see that it has give and it sways a little bit at the top. But if that tree were rigid, it would yeah. probably snap yeah. with the wind and the breeze. So the same with us, you know, it's like yeah. you, that rigidity has got to be let down a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And, and the truth is, I can't do that. But I can be willing to have the spirit oil okay. my joints. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> I was thinking of uh, Wizard of Oz and the Tin Man. <laughs> That's about right. Yeah, right, right. A particular resentment that I have it's a, a resentment that I have with a former sponsor. Um, she has done many AWOLs, okay, so but she's never done. Let's not get into the story about her because she's irrelevant. 
what is relevant is that you have sitting here in front of us right now, you have a resentment about this person. And what is the benefit to you of holding that resentment? Well, there is no benefit. Oh, no, there is clearly. Uh, it's affecting, no, certainly. No, 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 no. Well, there is a benefit because you're holding it. Well, yeah, I'm holding it because I'm confused about. No, you're not confused. Sorry. Uh, I don't, I never, I never accept that. Confused is a cover for something that you don't want to look at. I guess, well, I guess I want to be right in this situation, oh. and I believe that I am right. Well, I do. So what if you are right? No, really, what if you are absolutely right? Why do you have the resentment about it? Um, I got honest uh, with her, and uh, she dropped me. I understand, yes. but why do you have a resentment about it? You have a feeling uh, of anger. Yeah, I feel I feel um, angry and I feel oh, we know that we've, you've already said that very plainly. You have anger. We know that. All right. And, and I why feel do you have it? But why do you have it? What's it? What purpose is it serving um, for you? Well, I have it because I feel like I did not live up to her expectations. And uh -huh. she told me that she was very hurt. Yeah. Okay. So, so, um, but you're not. You're just. You're just mouthing words and 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 relieving yourself of an emotion. But you're not answering my question. What's the benefit to you of your anger right now here as we're talking? Um, I don't know if there is a benefit. I want to be yes, rid there of. There is a. No, you don't. I mean, you do in a way because you're talking about it, but you're holding it because it serves you. And you said it, it leaked out, actually. You want to be right. You think you're right. And you want her to acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You And you want other people to see that you're right and she's wrong. And you want public vindication that you're okay. I guess, yeah, I, I'm looking for agreement. Yeah, yeah, right. Nice. I'm looking for agreement. Wonderful insight. Sure, sure. How's that working for you? Well, it's not. It's oh, it never will either. No, yeah. and yeah. I want to be keep the fairy dust at Disneyland. I um. This I, is I reality. She I guess dumped my, you. My question. She dumped you. All right. You, you may or may not, you may or may not have done anything to warrant that response, but it doesn't matter. It's just reality. My wife died three years ago. I did the what it could have should us for about a month until the wee small voice said, Herb, even if it's true what it could have should have, and it might have changed the outcome. Listen to this. The wee small voice said, Herb, she's dead. Get over it. You can't change the fact that she's dead. Now that's about as cold as it gets. You need to face reality. She terminated the relationship. Mm -hmm. And you're sitting there in your grieving pity pot puddle is not solving anything except making you miserable. And you need a process of forgiveness. 
to release it. Yeah. I know I, I need to forgive myself for a number of things. There you go. Um, but sure. I, I also did um, apologize and I did ask if there's something that I could do. Nice. Uh, you know, to help her to trust me yeah. again. Because How you, that was wait, wait, wait. It's all nice. It's all nice. It's all nice. It's great. But it's all a story because you're not addressing the issue. Your anger. Mm -hmm. You want reality to be different than it is. That's all. It's that simple. You want reality to be different than it is. Yeah, I, I am having a difficult time accepting her reaction and. Um, exactly. Yep. Yeah. That's but that's where my confusion comes in. Not I, I wonder if there's. Confused. You're not confused. You don't want to take responsibility that your anger is your problem. Your sponsor is not your problem. The event is yeah. not your problem. Your anger is your problem. Your reaction is yeah. your problem. Okay. Now, now, now deal with it. Yeah, I guess what I want is to have her change her reaction towards me. I want to change her. Yeah, how, how, uh, yeah. I want the sun to rise in the east just on Sunday. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But then I tell myself that I didn't do enough. I didn't do it good enough. Yeah. Um, that was a bad analogy. I, by I, the, way. the sun does rise in the east. But anyway, <laughs> I meant the west, but go ahead. Yeah. So anyway, um, you've got the feel of it. You heard the recommendations I made to other people about a laser focused look at this, this event in column three, column four, with the guidance of somebody who knows what they're doing. Not everybody has done this work and has an experience or competence to lead you through it. All right. Okay. Thanks very much. All right. Thank you. Yeah. That's why, that's why we do this work because uh, it's all about human suffering and we all do. We all suffer sometimes very dramatically, sometimes very mosquitoes, but it's still suffering. And, and this path, this path helps us. It provides a surgery and it also provides mosquito nets. Okay, to stay with that, I've never used that before. So let's pray the St. Francis prayer. And I'm going to lead you in it antiphonally. Takes a little bit longer, but it's a very reflective meditation. Listen to the promise, listen to the process, and listen to the turning. This prayer summarizes the 12 step process and any human dynamic of transformation a process, a promise, a turning, a turning from myself, a turning to a relationship with others. And I'm going to lead you in the prayer antiphonally. I will pray a word, and then I invite you to pray it to yourself quietly or out loud. You're on mute. And then I'll pray a phrase, and I invite you to then pray the phrase to yourself or out loud. Or just be present as a witness to the intention of transformation. I do call the St. Francis prayer the prayer of transformation. Lord, make me a channel of your peace. 
that where there is hatred, I may bring love. That where there is wrong, I may bring the spirit of forgiveness. That where there is discord, I may bring harmony. That where there is error, I may bring truth. That where there is doubt, I may bring faith. That where there is despair, I may bring hope. That where there are shadows, I may bring light. That where there is sadness, I may bring joy. Lord, grant that I may seek rather to comfort than to be comforted. To understand than to be understood to love than to be loved. For it is by self-forgetting that one finds. It is by forgiving that one is forgiven. It is by dying that one awakens to eternal life. And if you want to have a really good meditation sometime, go to my way of life document on page 40, because it has a list of the bedevilments. And in contrast, on the other side, it has a list of the promises after the ninth step. And it correlates. It's a phenomenal work done by Dan Sherman, dead about three or four years. He wrote his own material on the big book and his interpretation and experience. But uh, I got his permission to put this into my work because I think it's so insightful a connection. We start with unmanageability and we're powerless and we end with power after we finish the ninth step and we are empowered. And the contrast is startling. I wonder if Bill was actually conscious of that. Page 52 are the bedevilments. And I believe the uh, the promises are on page um, 83 and page 84. So all of the steps are in between that. And the fruit of this work is the transformation, that turning from my self-centeredness to other-centeredness. Thank you so much, everybody, for your wonderful participation. It was the richest part for me. And I hope it was uh, helpful to you that we had some documentation and witness to the problems, the human problems that we have and the possible solutions that we have through this process. Thank you, everybody. Wonderful session.